You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I hope that you are having a great summer so far, and I want to welcome you back to Road Talk and Navigating Your Journey. We recently finished a series where I had the distinct honor to interview each minister on staff here at Preston Crest, and then we also got to hear from a good friend of mine and former U.S. Gold Olympian Earl Young about his story and about the wonderful nonprofit ministry Uh, that he has now with Earl Young's team. And if you have not listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it and also read more about Earl Young and his ministry at earlyoungsteam.com. It is summertime, and the rain in Dallas has finally stopped, and the heat is here. The humidity is here. You walk outside, and in just a few seconds you realize that those nice, cool days are gone, at least for several weeks to come. People are traveling. We're having VBS this week at Preston Crest. We're swimming with our kids when we get off of work. Summer is here. You know, there's one passage of Scripture that every time I read it, it makes me think about summertime. I don't really know why. The scripture doesn't say that it takes place during summertime. But when I read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, there's just something about that scene that makes me think of summer. The people are there together. They're outside. They're listening to every word that Jesus has to say. And it doesn't seem like they have anywhere that they have to be. Those rolling hills were spotted with hundreds, if not thousands, of listeners. All who had come for one main reason, and that was to hear the words of this man named Jesus. Jesus was new on the scene, a rising star. But his message about this new kingdom touched every single heart. He wasn't talking about Israel's powerhouse days and those glory days of King David. Jesus had a spiritual, timeless, eternal kingdom in mind. He told his hearers that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In some instances, that won Jesus some friends. With others, it made him an immediate enemy. 
And Jesus had fulfilled the law in so many ways. He had lived a perfect life. He was breaking out of that Jewish legalistic mindset and mold. He was fulfilling prophecies about the kingdom of God, proving that the law pointed to the need for a Savior. And Jesus was that Savior. But then Jesus delivers this beautiful sermon that we have called the Sermon on the Mount. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5 through 7. And as he's beginning to formulate this sermon and deliver it to the people, he kind of begins with this little introduction, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, "...unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." That was pretty clear. No ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus does not sidestep the conflict. Jesus gets right to the point. You must be more religious than the religious leaders that are walking the streets of Jerusalem today. Jesus tells his hearers that I desire and demand more from you than what you see in them. And again, there are all of these people who have showed up to sit and listen to every word that Jesus has to say, and he sits down to teach them. They sit on these beautiful green hills that roll down to the Sea of Galilee. And he delivers a sermon that probably would have been about, oh, 15 to 20 minutes, which again reminds preachers today, keep it short, keep it short. But even though this sermon only lasted probably 15 or 20 minutes, I'd like us to take a few weeks on this podcast to really pull it apart and think about what Jesus is trying to say. And so we're starting a new series today that I'm calling, But I Tell You, Truths from Jesus. In this short little sermon, which is arguably one of the greatest sermons in the history of mankind, Jesus says over and over again, but I tell you. He may phrase it this way, you have heard it said, or it's been taught to you, or your understanding might be, but then Jesus clarifies why he's bringing it up when he says, but I tell you. But I give you the perfect understanding of what it is that you are really supposed to know. It's not that the law had changed or that the message had changed, but that people Throughout the years, they had messed it up. They had distorted it with their own traditions and their own desires. And Jesus was getting right back to the heart of God so people knew what it was that their Creator really desired. And so today in this first episode of this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at two truths from Jesus. The truth about murder and then the truth about worship. Jesus tells us the truth about murder in verses 21 through 22 of Matthew chapter 5, really toward the beginning of his sermon. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, 
that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Any faithful Jew knew that murder was punishable by death. The Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not murder. But Exodus 21.12, which detailed the law that was in effect when Jesus made this statement in Matthew 5, Exodus 21.12 says, Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. For years the scribes have been writing and teaching that murderers face judgment rather than teaching and writing what the law said, that murder was punishable by death. You see, they were adding to the law, making it possible for murderers to get off and to face a lesser charge, the early plea bargain of the day. It's a big reason why your Bible might include a footnote that says, if a man commits murder without cause... Those words without cause were not in the original manuscripts. That also comes from the tradition of the scribes. This is why Jesus clarifies, You've heard it said, but I tell you. But you know, Jesus steps out on the ledge and he opens up a whole new world with truth about murder. The thought is just as dangerous as the act. Jesus doesn't just convict the action of murder, but also the motive. In other words, Jesus says, even if you don't physically take your brother's life, you can spiritually take your own. And he mentions the word raka to make his point. Anyone who says raka is unanswerable to the Sanhedrin. Raka is an unusual word. No one knows for sure what it means. The most common translations are worthless or good for nothing or my personal favorite, you empty head. (laughs) Have you ever known those people where you think to yourself, there's not much going on up there, is there? You empty head, you worthless, you good for nothing individual. Those are statements of contempt. Statements of harm, statements that tear others down. And Jesus says that calling someone a fool or saying that they're a worthless individual is just as bad as taking their life because that is the same emotion, the same anger that leads to murder. No one commits murder in loving happiness, but only in hateful resentment. But then Jesus tells us the truth about worship in verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You may be wondering, well, this is kind of morbid, isn't it? Why are we including the truth about murder with the truth about worship? It's a good question. 
And the best way to answer that question is to say the truth about murder and worship ironically go hand in hand. Once again, Jesus is appealing to the Jewish mindset, the Jewish tradition. History shows us that Jews would place their sacrifices to God on the altar. They would bring them to the priest. The priest would administer the sacrifice, and the Jews would stand nearby to worship Yahweh with with thanksgiving. But when Jesus spoke of the new kingdom, he knew that we as the church... We do the same thing in our own way. We would bring our sacrifice of praise, place it on the altar of our lives to become a living sacrifice. But we would have the wrong emotions in our heart. But Jesus does show us how it's supposed to work. He says, when you offer your gift... If you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift and go and be reconciled to him. In other words, put your worship on hold until you make things right. Someone might say, oh, well, good. That's just if I've upset somebody. I never upset anybody, so I don't have to worry about that. Well, not exactly. Because 13 chapters later in Matthew 18, Jesus said, If someone has wronged you, then you need to do the same thing. You need to fix the problem before you come to praise. And Jesus covers every possible scenario of conflict. He makes it very clear that we can only offer true worship vertically once we harmonize things horizontally. I don't know about you, but that seems to be different than how we handle it today, is it not? Do we always reconcile our differences before we come to worship? I think that's why Jesus says, You've heard it said, but I tell you something else. Something drastically different. And I guess what's so scary to me is that it seems like when we talk about worship, we spend a lot of time talking about worshiping in spirit and truth, and for good reason. But this right here about worship that Jesus includes in the Sermon on the Mount, this is just as much of worship as anything else. And it so often gets overlooked. Jesus is talking directly to us to you, to me. And Jesus is saying, you know what? It is better to leave worship in the most sacred moment than to delay reconciliation with your brother. You see, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the truth about the things that we don't always remember. The truth about things which can be very hard to hear. Jesus says, I tell you, you can murder through hate in your heart. John writes that word for word in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. John says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life in him. What does it mean to hate? I mean, really. What does it mean to have hate in your heart? 
I don't think it means to be irritated by or to irritate someone else. I don't think it even means not to particularly like someone. There's some people that you just naturally want to be around, and let's face it, there's some people that that you'd rather not see. But that doesn't mean that you hate them. I think you've crossed that line over into the battleground of hate when you begin to wish ill will towards someone else, when you hope in your heart, or maybe you even voice through your words, that you hope that they will fail. When you pray that bad things would happen to them. That, that's hate. And the second part of that question is, well, who's my brother? If, if that's what it means to hate, and I'm not supposed to hate my brother, well, who is it I'm not supposed to hate? Who's my brother? Well, when Jesus was giving this sermon, his audience was predominantly, if not totally, the Jewish nation the very ones who offered the gifts on the altars, those who were in covenant relationship with God. In our context today as the church, it's those who profess the name of Jesus, specifically those who have been immersed in the blood of Christ and consequently are part of God's chosen people. And if we have those types of feelings towards those types of people, even when we don't agree, even when we may see things a little bit differently. Even if they're in the wrong, or even if we're in the wrong, it's murder in the eyes of God. We have to be very careful about the feelings that we house in our heart. You see, there may be many people, even in the church, who, according to Jesus, are committing murder even if they don't realize it. And this is not a suggestion of Jesus. It is the verdict of our soul. And Jesus lays down the hammer for that second piece of truth that we've talked about today. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you can worship me in vain. If you notice, Jesus doesn't say that problems won't happen because he knows that they will happen. That's the main reason he mentions being reconciled to your brother. But Jesus makes it very clear when those problems take place, fix them immediately. Before you offer your gift, handle your gripe. If not, then everything we do in worship is done in vain. It's worthless. I appeal to you that if you have a problem with someone in your church family, don't walk through the doors on Sunday until it's fixed. You don't have to be best friends, but you owe it to God, and you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to them to reconcile your differences. As the church, worship is one of the most important things that we do. But if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And the first step to worshiping correctly is to worshiping in harmony and with, in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said, you heard it said long ago. 
but I tell you. And in the weeks to come, we will turn our ear and yearn to hear for these precious words of life. It's summertime. Let's spend the summer together in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to close today by reminding you to keep your eyes on heaven. And along this journey of life, there will be road talk there to help you for the road work along your way. God bless, and we will talk to you next time.